This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. We're sponsored by Neomodern.com, bringing concierge photo printing and framing to everyone with a smartphone. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neomodern, and grumpy old man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Rubin. How are you? I'm doing well. Where are you today? I'm in Santa Cruz. Where are you today? I'm in the city proper, San Francisco. Oh, I missed you. Like, I should have, like, I feel like our ship's passed in the night or something. This is true. This is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> missed each other by hours. I know. But oh, yes. it, it doesn't, uh, it's like super pretty here and gorgeous, and you're in front of a dark gray wall. I, well, it's, it's purple. The wall is purple. Uh, it was raining briefly out here in Santa Cruz this, this afternoon. Did you know that? So that was your, did you take any pictures? It's no. Like your favorite, favorite I, time ever? It is my favorite time. I, I'm taking a lot of pictures this week, but today, um, no, I went to, I was hanging out with my daughter. We went to see Little Women. Nice. Which How is was it? Fantastic. No wonder it was nominated for a million Oscars. It was really good. Yeah, and uh, no, so that was fun. And it's always a good thing to do with Lee. And um, let's see what else. Oh, so we haven't done a show in a while. And it's nice to get, sit down with you, even if we're sitting down remotely, just catch up, you know. Um, I saw your article on Petapixel, did, Photography oh, yeah. as Zen Art. Did, That's very exciting. Did you like that? I did like it. I thought it was a very, uh, it was a great read. I know we we've talked about this in the past. I was wondering if you wanted to maybe like chat about it a little bit more. Um, I think there's some really interesting interesting stuff here, and there's great photos in the article as well. Are oh. those all yours? Um, they are, except the opening uh, the the topmost picture that Petapixel used um, was done by a friend of mine's son, Jordan Arnold, and. Uh, it's uh, an Enso. Like it's that Enzo. circle. Yeah. But he did it yeah. with a drone, and he was driving a powerboat. And, cool. And I thought, that's... I saw the picture on his Instagram at some point this year, and I thought, if I ever write a book, that's the picture that should be on the cover. In fact, you know, or maybe you don't know, like, I always... I, I like to see the cover of a book before I write it. You know what I mean? It's sort of... You do judge a book by... You write a book by its cover. I write a book by its cover. Well, for me, I like to design the cover and the title, and then I can put it on the wall, and then the rest just feels like details. Okay. You know, it's sort of like, look, the book is practically done. So now I just got to fill in those so middle pretty. pages, and then and we're good. Right. Good to go. Just just a few words in the middle. A couple bit, but middle that, things. That great cover. I know. And honestly, in hindsight now, I've never... The cover that I've had on the wall while I wrote is never the cover of the book. But somehow huh. it gets... It's uh, nice to put it out there. Kind of... It's, uh, I don't know, like a motivating little thing there. And anyway, that picture is very cool. And uh, that's why it's on the wall. But yeah, I, I remember it was almost last year at New Year's, I committed myself to writing a book on photography and all year been mulling it over and trying to put it together but it really just coalesced recently at like I'm I'm certain this is what I want to write about and um and so what I uh what you saw in Petapixel was kind of like the introduction I was sort of floating the idea as it's been coalescing and seeing what kinds of um, feedback I get do people like it and or people troll me or (laughs) <laughs> what are you finding? Well, people do like it and they troll me. I, I think there's no way not to get trolled, honestly. There's no way not to get trolled. I mean, it's the internet. Like, that's what happens. I, you have the lowest common denominator. Are you ignoring it? Um, 
No, I'm not ignoring. I'm really crappy. I, I was saying, <laughs> Ruben, you have to ignore trolls. This, I, is, this is like rule number one I, on the internet. I'm weak. I can't. I can't. No. What, what, you know, you write something and people come out there and they say, you know, you don't know anything about this. And I can't stop myself from being like, some, saying something snarky to them. I mean, I know that's what they respond, want. Ruben, you can't respond. Okay. Don't respond. All right. All right. I'm trying. You're, re- you're responding. You're just like, you're incentivizing them to, <laughs> and then they're like, oh, wait, someone's going to come play with me. Now I'm going to be real rotten. Well, I, at some level, Don't I like the banter. I, I kind of like the back and forth, but um, yeah, I need to not engage. I think that's true. I, yeah, I think that is the, the rule. Um, I, I've just sent you Forbes' uh, top 10 tips of dealing with internet trolls, so you can not have Thank that first writer reading later. <laughs> Thank you. I can't Maybe wait to read it. We can put a link it. in the show notes as well. <laughs> how to, so in case, anyone else if you want to know about photography, click story. here. If you want to deal with trolls, <laughs> click here. <laughs> and if you want to see how Ruben is dealing with them inappropriately, yeah, click here. That's right. That's right. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about it. I mean, we've talked on the show about my feelings about the Zen arts, but it's really come together. I, I've started um, going out to San Francisco's Zen Center and, and talking with... Um, masters of Zen, people who know obviously way more than me. I know nothing. Um, and they, you know, uh, have been giving me feedback on how, uh, and mostly they've been giving me things to read. Um, uh, a fantastic master, Marsha Lieberman, has been s- sending me books to read, and mm-hmm. uh, it's been wonderful and helpful. And continuously, I read things in, in some book, and it, I, I feel like I'm reading about photography. Like, I know there's something here. And and I will say that, you know, when I started writing this stuff, I I wondered whether someone had done this. Like, that's always the question. Like, once you think you've got kind of an interesting idea, uh, a new curriculum for teaching photography or for talking about photography, I wondered, you know, someone must be doing this. So if you Google Zen and photography, which is Mm -hmm. what I I did, um, there are tons of things. There's lots of articles. There's interesting books. And I started reading those. <clears throat> and I, I'd say for the most part, all of them have the same kind of idea. And that idea is you can use photography as a way to practice Zen. It, it mm-hmm. is a really interesting uh, avenue for uh, mindfulness, for being present, for finding sl- your inner Zen. Yeah. But this no, 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 is more well, about the composition. Well, no, no, well, I mean, those books are helping you using photography as a path towards Zen. And what I'm saying is sort of the opposite, which is I want to use the Zen arts, this very specific set of basically crafts that have this philosophical underpinning and see if those apply to photography in such a way to make my photography better, not to make me a Zen master. You know, Mm -hmm. the goal is about better photography, not about enlightenment. And mm-hmm. that seems to be a different approach. And so I, I keep picking up new Zen arts and digging in, just starting to read about them. And in almost every case, you can start swapping out the word, whatever they're talking about, and put in photography. And there's this sort of interesting resonance. Uh, here, mm-hmm. Here's a, 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 like just one example. I mean, I'm just kind of looking through my notes here. But I was there's a book um, on wabi-sabi, which is... Uh, a Japanese sort of philosophical principle that underlines, uh, an aesthetic principle that underlines a lot of these arts. 
Um, and it's a, about beauty and imperfection and stuff like that, right? Um, and the author of that book had this quote. I was just kind of reading it. He's talking about wabi tea, which was kind of the root of wabi-sabi. And mm-hmm. it said that, I'm quoting here, the beauty of wabi-sabi is a perceptual event. It's not an inherent property of things. It happens when conditioned and habituated ways of looking at things fall away. When things are defamiliarized, something extraordinary in something that otherwise might be quite ordinary, undistinguished, barely there, mistaken as trivial, the task of locating difficult to recognize beauty was an enduring pursuit of Wabi tea. Okay, hmm. that's what he said. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like the quote on the wall at Pet- at, at Neo Modern, yeah. which is by yeah. Elliot Erwitt that says, "To me, photography is an art of observation. I found it has yeah. little to do with the things you see and everything to do with the way you see them." Those are the same things. I mean, they're saying a lot of the same thing right there. No, absolutely. I, I think that's it. Is really interesting. I think it's it's also fascinating seeing being able to see these life lessons or creative lessons um, in these other places that you're, that you, that you look, you also gave an example of like haiku. Yeah. In the article. Yeah. Um, talk- do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit more well, about how you see haiku being really relevant? Okay. Well, I mean, I think before I, I dig into the haiku, I, I'll just mention to anyone listening what the Zen arts are that I'm specifically talking about. Um, and it is, it, I mean, there's a number of them. They also call them temple arts, but um, mm-hmm. haiku is one. Um, there's ikebana, which is flower, sort of flower arranging. Uh, bonsai, uh, which everyone kind of knows what bonsai is. Uh, enso mm-hmm. are those circles. Kintsugi, which um, we've also talked about. It's fixing broken ceramics with gold. And even origami. Mm-hmm. So those those are the six that I've been focusing on, uh, but I've already added. You know, it, it was a list of four when I started this, and now I'm up to six. I keep finding new temple arts that, as I learn about them, <laughs> I, I find something very interesting in there. Um, okay, so haiku. I mean, there's a lot written about it, and I, I, I've often. I mean, I, I really like haiku, and, and I like how constrained it is, how simple mm-hmm. it is, and I think it reminds me that the photography is a, a poetic form. It's just like when, when lots of people take pictures, just like lots of people write poetry, mm-hmm. but haiku is a specific set of constraints. You know, it has these three lines, five, seven, five kind of syllables, um, and, and you're trying to work within this structure. It has other constraints too about sort of what they write about and, and so forth, but, but the, the key to me was that it was a highly constrained poetic form and it's highly constrained with this sort of philosophical underpinning it's not like just like a limerick where someone came up with one i mean all poetic forms have history but Mm -hmm. the haiku had more than history it has a a rationale well i think what i like about it too is that because it is so short and it is so constrained it's a great it's sort of like the gateway poem you know it's kind of like the one that you a lot of students do as they are sort of being introduced to poetry where they understand syllables they understand how to make meaning out of like sort of abstract pieces and I think what's cool about that is I wonder if there's some even just like some photo exercise that could almost be used of like what is your haiku your haiku warm-up as you are getting started or even like the thing that you do when you start p- taking pictures for the day no, but I think haiku, it could be really fun I think the photography itself is the haiku it is an easy on-ramp it's easy to pick up your phone mm-hmm. and point it at something and take a picture that is as easy as writing a, a, a quick little poem 
it has the same nature that it can be simple. It doesn't seem like it takes much, but one of the things as a as someone who enjoys photography is you, you start to, and you, we've talked about this too, it is working within the constraints that makes it fun. If you can do anything and shoot anything and, and you just, you're kind of all over the map. It's just like writing. I mean, writing's mm -hmm. okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you want to have fun, try writing a limerick, try writing a haiku, like see if you can work within those constraints. And to me, I think that people will enjoy photography if they set up constraints for themselves that they will work within because otherwise it's hard I to... Guess I, I see it slightly differently though. And I think it's just, maybe it's because we're different in different places of photography. I think sometimes for me, it's hard to start. It's hard to sort of say, oh, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to take pictures. Like what's worth taking pictures of? How do I get myself into this headspace of being ready to see? And I think that you are probably more naturally there, um, that you're always ready. You always have your camera out and ready to go. So I guess I, guess I kind of like this idea of like, getting getting ready to be able to like okay it's just a haiku it's just like start thinking of what is your you know photo moment and maybe it doesn't have to be as literal as like I'm going to take you know only a certain number of shots of this until I move on to the next piece and I look at these three elements but I, I think that there's something there well I would again I would, I would say that I, I mean I'm not making a direct parallel that we uh, that a photograph is a haiku that you'll learn haiku and you'll do these pictures. What I'm what I'm suggesting is in the in the curriculum for learning photography, the first assignment would be something very constrained. I might say, okay, pick up your phone and every day at two thirty, wherever you're standing, you're going to take a picture. It's going to be horizontal. You're going to get one one shot, or it's going to be black and white, or you know, you set up an assignment that is highly constrained. So people know what they're there to do. You know what I mean? I mean, that would be a way I might create a, yeah. a, a project that is haiku-like to start to get people to understand how it's easier to work with constraints. Yeah. Something, something I think, like, yeah, no, I, th I, feel, I agree. I feel like that's kind of what I was saying of like just having sometimes a short exercise is the one that, you know, helps you start to see things differently. It's like thrift shopping. That first thing you pick up changes yes. the way that you <laughs> you experience the rest of your opportunity uh, shopping. Well, I've got a workshop that um, I've put together. And I had a kind of a long workshop, like a four-day thing that I was going to do later this year. But I decided mm -hmm. to do a couple one-day sessions in March. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah, and I figured... When are they? Um, one is March 14th and one is March okay. 28th. You don't need both of them. I just have two different dates of it so people can sign up they're small i'm gonna have like 10 people and there will be a haiku practice we've got we'll have an ikebana type practice we'll have a photo walk we have a, different parts but i'll go through each of these arts and go into a little more detail about b both what they are and why they connect and then how they apply to your photography because again the point isn't to learn ikebana no one's going to walk out of there doing flower arranging you're good right. the point is that you understand composition differently. And Ikebana, I, I have to say, I've been watching videos for a month now of how to do Ikebana just to kind of understand what their process looks like. And mm -hmm. I'm more convinced than ever that, you know, things, you know, how I hate the rule of thirds and, and golden mean. Yes. Yeah. Again, they're, they're Monday morning quarterback, right? You're looking at a finished piece. Someone had looked at my pictures on in the post and said, I don't know, you talk a good story, but it looks like you've got, a, you're using the rule of thirds. Right. And what I suggested was I could show you a lot of Ikebana 
compositions where someone has made a flower arrangement and I know for a fact what rules they've been using. It is rule-based, mm-hmm. but what what uh, is guiding how they are thinking about it, none of those guiding principles are rule of thirds or golden mean. But if you look at enough of them, some of them are going to sort of look like they have a rule of thirds composition. That's after the fact. It wasn't. It didn't help someone do the composition. That's just a way you might look at it when they're done. And I think if you learned, if you started there, you wouldn't learn anything about composition. It's not the yeah. right way to think about it. So that's why I say th- throw those things out. It doesn't mean that something with a one-third, two-thirds proportion isn't often very lovely and that many things <laughs> might have that. I'm just saying that isn't how you teach composition. I mean, that's just sort of an an observation about certain things, you know? Um, and so when tell me one more time. These workshops are on March 14th. And what is the other day? Uh, and March 28th, I believe. Both Saturdays, um, two weeks apart, uh, 10 to 4. Um, there's okay. a, There'll be a link somewhere if you want to sign up for for them. Um, 10 to 4. I'm putting I'm putting this on my calendar. Oh, I will, will you come? I'm going to try to go. I will come. I'm going to try to come to the March 28th one. That would be lovely. That will be great. I would love to see. I already have. It's starting to fill up. I have a lot of people coming to that. I don't know why no one can make the 14th, but I don't know. Yes, that would be that would be fantastic. Oh, good, um, good. And we'll do this. Um, we'll look at what Ikebana does, like how... Obviously, there's a lot of schools of Ikebana, and I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to, again, teach that. I'm not uh, an Ikebana master. But as I watch it, I see how it informs photographic composition. And so as I teach photographic composition in a different way, I think that it, it makes more sense. It has almost a philosophical underpinning that makes sense. It's not like a rule that you then say, oh, do this and then throw it out when you get good. Because yeah. I would say the, the correct kind of structure has a balance and harmony of elements on purpose, like regardless yeah. of where you put the subject. And they're always in balance. And, you know, it's sort of like telling someone, if you're teaching someone to balance on their finger, I don't know if you've ever tried to, if you're, if you're trying <laughs> I've to- I've never tried to balance on my finger. No, 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 like no, no, no. Balance like a, no, balance a ruler or balance a, a, <laughs> an object on your finger. <laughs> like you're much stronger than i gave you credit for Ruben. no i'm i'm much not stronger than you give me credit for you <laughs> try to balance but if you on go, your finger no yes, if you no, if it. you go grab a, a a stick from the yard and and you try to balance it on your finger and someone was going to teach you how to do that it would not be correct to start them with a ruler and say the way you balance is you put your finger at six inches in on the ruler and now you know how to balance that's how you balance because the truth is Sticks are wobbly and have weird shapes and are uneven. And your finger, you might have to find the center of mass, but you're not finding the center point. And um, and if you and and you have to feel, you can feel when it's tilting on or off your finger, and you that's how you move it a little bit. Though that is how you teach someone to balance something. You talk about finding finding that weight point. That's what I'm saying about photography at some level. You're you're finding where things where the the balance point is, where the subjects are, where the where the the contrasting points are and and as you have all these objects in your frame, there's a sort of harmonious balance you can find, but it would not be and sometimes it will be at one third in. Absolutely true. If there's not a lot else going on, right. that might be a, a very uh-huh. that's like a ruler that's perfect and you put your finger in the center. But the rule that you want to teach is about how you find it in some irregular objects because that's what balancing is like. You're still laughing about me balancing on my fingers, aren't you? I, I am. You're not going to let that go. <laughs> that's going to that's gonna haunt me now. No, it's good. I, no, I, I, was, I was genuinely listening the whole time. But yes, straight ruler versus stick. Got it. 
not balancing on your finger with all your body weight. You're not a circus performer. I'm, I'm not. Here. I'm so totally not. A, I'm completely not a circus performer. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I'd say that Ikebana helps teach one of the most critical things in photography about the harmony of the elements in the frame. But if you're looking at bonsai, it talks a lot about um, how the universe is in everything. And and that it speaks a lot to the way I talk about synecdoche. I've often talked about sort of the part for the whole. That's what bonsai is about in some ways. It's a miniature reality, and that's what photography is. It's kind of a false... It's not really real. It's a sampling that gives the impression of the real world, right? Um, and so um, those circles have kind of effortless elegance to them. And I think that that is also something that we work on in photography. It has, um, unlike bonsai, ensos have kind of a nuanced evidence of the artist in it. Whereas bonsai, you don't want to have any sense of the creator. Photography yeah. is both. Like sometimes you want to photograph to feel the evidence of the composition of the of that that you put something there. Maybe it's a still life or it's highly constructed. And other times you want it to kind of be wild. But you need to understand the differences between those two things and and what is being played with. Uh, you're really not going to let go of this finger balancing thing, are you? No, I was down. I was down. <laughs> okay. I was just smiling. I was just smiling as I was listening to you. This is the problem. This is the problem with video. Yeah. And mm. Hopefully everyone can hear the smile in my voice. I'm genuinely smiling. But no, just, just a pleasant smile I, as I was listening. It is a pleasant that's smile. All. Anyway, that's that's sort of what... Um, and so I'm, I'm continuing to read and I'm continuing to design these um, exercises that we can do that I think will bring out these ideas and what's particularly interesting for me is that i don't consider myself a beginner at photography i've been doing this my whole mm -hmm. life but um so I, I think that professionals and experienced photographers aren't always looking for a class in photography they feel like they understand how to take pictures and they're very good but there i think there's a risk when you've been taking pictures for a long time that you plateau that you might feel like you're not improving or you don't know where you're going with this and it was really helpful to me um again i don't want to be a, a zen master but i do mm -hmm. like that there's a philosoph a philosophical underpinning to the photography that i can play with that i can work within but it's really helping me move forward it answers questions about why we take pictures what is beautiful what is worth photographing um, even my soapbox about like why we print, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that might feel like well, tie that tie that in more um, explicitly. How do, how does it tie into why to print? Okay, well, um, origami, origami is about taking. Uh, it's about many things, of course, but one of the things that I had read frequently is it's taking this plain piece of paper and imbuing it with uh, life greater than just the paper. And putting an image on a piece of paper is a, is a similar kind of exercise. You're making it more than just this plain thing, but it's always about a real object. It's about this tactility of it. The, and uh, part of the culture of origami is often to make this little gestural, beautiful thing and gift it. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. Blade Runner. I didn't know that. Well, there, you know, Blade Runner, he's always leaving the little origamis around. The, mm -hmm. And... That's also a way that I think about photography sometimes, where it's a quick little, like caricature, a little thing that you uh, that you make, a, a delight that you take a picture and you post produce it quickly, and then you give it to someone or you post it on Instagram, and yeah. then it's and then it has its own life, and 
and and if you do that, um, and, and particularly if you print it, that's part of the essence of origami. I mean, it's not everything about origami. We're not folding up a piece of paper, but we are mm -hmm. making an object that is greater than the image. It's greater than the paper. It's this thing. It's imbued with something special. So that's a, a takeaway from origami that I think supports what otherwise is just sort of an idiosyncratic view I have that printing is important. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 No, that totally that that totally makes sense. Um, and it just keeps happening. I keep yeah. the more I read on any particular part of this, the more <laughs> I, I just feel like, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel about photography. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So you, you said you also you've been going to the Zen the Zen Center a lot and kind of meeting with these Zen masters. Is it something where we could maybe have one of them on our show to talk more about it? I would love. I mean, I haven't done this much, but I can I, I intend to do more of it. But I would love to have Marsha Lieberman on. She is yeah. a delightful um, spirit and a photographer. And she's um, she was just very receptive to these ideas and hadn't heard them before. And uh, and I went and looked at her work. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I mean, she's got both sides of it. She, of course, is a Zen master or, uh, you know, I don't know if she would call herself that. But uh -huh. do people call themselves Zen masters or is that pretentious? I don't even know. Or, or do just students call them Zen masters because they're your master? I am not informed on this topic whatsoever, I am so I'm not, not going to weigh in. I have genuine no idea. <laughs> I, have, I have questions. <laughs> Complete ignorance. I have we many have questions. questions. Yes, but that's that's the process. The way I solve my questions is to, I mean, you can read and you can go study, and the study of Zen is a lifelong pursuit, of course. But um, the other way that you learn is to teach. In fact, I think that might even be a Zen principle. It's like you can't do it until you have a student. You're not you're not studying it. You don't understand it until you're trying to teach it. Well, and, that's so true about anything, isn't it? I mean, like you think you understand it enough to get yourself through it, but then when you really have to articulate it to to someone else, then you know then you're really testing your knowledge of like, oh, how well do I know this? Absolutely. It's uh that, that's that's in, so true and so interesting. And of course, talking about it on a podcast is right up there. Like you don't, you really don't really understand exactly what you don't understand until that moment that you're trying to talk about it. But so that's, I mean, that's why I'm doing the workshops. It's partly to, you know, teach it and see how that goes. Yeah. But it's for me to figure out what I don't understand still and, and the direct, the kinds of questions people have and whether it's as useful as I think it is. So, um, Definitely guinea pigs. The first couple sessions here are going to be uh, working out some of these ideas. Well, I think that's great. I mean, that's what helps. Um, that's sort of what makes everything better. Uh, I was just thinking about feedback. I know, like the this for just for me, like professionally, we've been getting like a lot of feedback from different like partners in our process, mm -hmm. and like it's hard. It's like the first time you get that. Um, it seems really frustrating. So you're like, oh, you're worrying about the wrong stuff. Like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't this isn't important. Like, we need to focus on this other th this other piece. But in the process of sort of um, like def defending your idea, or but just it's not even defending your idea. It's just like clarifying your strategy. You realize actually that feedback's great. Like mm -hmm. that feedback, I needed that. That's really helpful for me to be better at articulating to kind of define that in, in a way that makes sense. So everyone is on the same page. So it's. I think these first lessons, these first classes, the first, even if it's your trolling feedback, they would tie that back in. Um, I actually thank you, trolls. Does, thank you. It does. Yeah. Thank. Thank you. I mean, it, it sort of makes it always makes us better to hear 
hear people that don't agree with us and mm-hmm. have it be okay to have people that don't agree with us so that we can, A, choose to listen or not listen. But if we want to listen, how can it make us better? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sort of scanning through some of my other notes from reading um, Corin's yeah. book on Wabi Sabi. He, he uh, you know how I, I get into fights all the time with trolls about whether it's not a photograph till you print it, of course. And the, mm-hmm. and the corollary to that is it's not, when it's just digital, it's not real, right? It's mm-hmm. not a photograph. And people will argue with me all the time, but here I am reading Corin's book and he's talking that, about Wabi Sabi and he's saying that Wabi Sabi cannot exist in the digital realm, that it's ideologically incompatible. And he talks a lot. Yeah, he talks that it's just... Um, that it, I mean, this is a quote from him on page 67. Wabi-sabi mm-hmm. cannot exist in a dimension that requires the application of effort to be or that the <laughs> subject or that it's subject to the vagaries of machinery and an external power source. That is what I'm saying about photography. Huh. It can't exist if it's, it's subject to the vagaries of machinery. You need an object that's independent of the technology. And um, and. and like here he's talking about Wabi Sabi and I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm just thinking, yeah, that's the way I feel about picture taking. Yeah. So there's tons of these. I mean, there's yeah. books and books. Every time I'm reading a book, I just keep making more and more notes of just, again, swapping out Wabi Sabi yeah. or swapping out Kintsugi and putting in the word photography there. Uh, and, I, and I'm not pretending it's the only way to do this. I'm not saying this is what all photography should be. I'm just suggesting mm-hmm. that... If you're trying to learn it, if there's a curriculum for teaching photography, you can make up these bullshit ideas like rule of thirds or whatever, and that this is how you're going to teach someone. And I'm just thinking, I think this is a better avenue to get someone taking pictures, to feel mastery, to understand why we do X and not Y. And yeah, you can do whatever you want. Instead of looking at a lesson in your rearview mirror, you are looking forward over the driving wheel, over the steering wheel with your hands firmly on it. Like you're in control. You're able to make the choices as you're going forward rather than having it be something that you can only look at and judge after the fact. So mm-hmm. I think that there's something really, really exciting about that way of teaching. And yeah, it, it is great for beginners. I think so. But I think it might be great for advanced people who are, who don't have to think well if you don't have to think about your camera like you're so good that you actually have all the technical mastery down and you've been taking pictures and and you and you kind of like your picture taking but you're not sure where it's going or why you're doing it i think they might need more help beginners i don't know you need just need to get taken pictures when you're a beginner but um i think it works for everybody i don't think it's about uh, a certain type of content, like taking landscape pictures or portraits. Mm-hmm. I think it's independent of content. It's independent of device, like you could be using film or an iPhone or a DSLR. It's not about those. It's just about why we take pictures and how we compose pictures and and how we enjoy photographs. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing, dealing with my trolls and... I know you're usually de- well should we wrap it up I mean I think that was it's a great I feel better having talked a little bit about this and backing up the article and and a number of episodes we've done where we've touched on these things with Chris yeah. Lunt and other people and and it won't be the last time but I, it's really starting to coalesce and I'm really starting to write the book now and you have the cover and I have the cover so I'm, there. I'm pr- 
practically done. <laughs> All right, let's wrap. Let's wrap it up. All right, well, every, everyone, um, definitely check out the article on Petapixel. We're going to put the put the information in the show notes. Also, hopefully, I get to meet you all there um, on the 28th of March, meeting at Neo Modern for that workshop. If you can't do the 28th, please come on the 14th. I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's feedback on how it goes as we help this constructive feedback and Ruben um, continue to grow in this <laughs> Zen and photography. <laughs> thank you. Theory. But uh, everyone, thank you very much. Our show is recorded and produced in San Francisco and Santa Cruz today. Mm-hmm. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos and post comments, leave reviews and ratings on iTunes. Don't worry, you won't be a troll. We will listen and read them. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe. We do get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. If you know someone who might get something from us, please send them the link. Thank you to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.